Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so one of the favorite things that I've done on this show is highlighting a whole bunch of small builders who are doing really interesting things with bike design and trying some novel stuff that the bigger players aren't necessarily doing. And this is a continuation of that. And so this week I sat down with Tom Moffat and Sean Gwynn of Machina Bikes to talk about their whole project, which if you've not seen it, well, one, just go look at the photo on the show notes on Blister because the bike is stunning. And it's a pretty cool story of two guys who just got together and decided that they wanted to build the bike that they personally wanted to be riding. And well, things kind of spiraled and the result of it is awfully impressive. So we chat a whole bunch about the development process, where they started from and why they wanted to build a bike in the first place, how they arrived at the place that they did, including a wild array of construction techniques involving carbon fiber, machined aluminum, 3D printed titanium bits, and the bikes, a mullet enduro bike built around a gearbox. So there's a lot going on there. And Tom and Sean just do a really good job of talking through why they ended up where they did and how the whole process has gone. So it's a fun one and a good continuation of some conversations that we've had with folks like Mick Williams of Williams Racing Products and Trinity last week and a couple of episodes prior to that as well, Evan Turpin of Contra, and a whole bunch more. So we'll get right to that in a second, but real quick first, I do want to encourage you to check out our Blister membership and all of the benefits that you get with it including the ability to send me an email and chat about your next bike purchase, upgrade, suspension setup, or whatever it is that you might need help with, and a whole bunch of really good deals on all kinds of stuff, including, until the end of the year, 15% off complete bikes and frames from We Are One. I'm a huge fan of the Arrival. It's a really sweet bike, and becoming a Blister member can save you a ton of money on one. So check out the link in the show notes, become a Blister member, and with that... Let's get right to my chat with Tom and Sean. Well, Tom, Sean, great to have you on and excited to chat about what you're up to with Machina Bikes and kind of that whole project. How are you two today and where are you today? Hey, David. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having us on. I'm currently in Whistler uh, at home. Uh, Tom's probably in Squamish. Yeah, I'm in Squamish at home. Do- doing well. Yeah. Right on. Glad to hear it. So we'll get into the Machina bike project in a little bit here, but just to kick it off, I would be curious to hear just a little bit about both of your backgrounds and kind of where you were starting from as far as the ability to pull this off and kind of what experience you had going in. Maybe start with you, Sean. Yeah, so I don't know I've been making designing and making stuff as long as I remember really. Um, and then, um, yeah, basically went to university studying product design, um, um, at Sheffield Hallam university as, um, like an accredited engineering degree with a focus on product design. Um, so I, I did, uh, four years of that. Um, and then I got hired by Rolls-Royce, uh, aerospace, 
So I went to work directly straight out of university to Rolls-Royce. Um, and then I think I was there for uh, around two years um, before deciding it was uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit corporate for my liking. So I uh, ended up taking a job um, in the bike industry. So I went to Commonsell uh, for three years. So I was based in Andorra. Um, I was doing more manufacturing production um, processes, quality. Um, so I was in between Taiwan and, um, Andorra, um, where, yeah, I, I mean, I've always been into bikes, so it kind of seemed like a good fit, but then the work wasn't exactly, um, I wasn't really involved in too much of the design. I was on the R and D department, but, um, focused more on production and manufacture. Uh, but I learned a lot there. And then fancied a change and then got talking to the company where Tom and I met uh, at FYI. Um, so I ended up getting hired by them, moved over to Canada in 2018. Um, so FYI is f- focused on um, industrial design and product design. Um, so I came in as a, as a mechanical engineer there um, and then been there for f- four years, basically. And that's where I met Tom and then it kind of went from there. How about you, Tom? I pretty much finished school and did an apprenticeship in boat building, but I was lucky enough to get into a, a company at the time which was probably at the forefront of carbon fibre yacht construction. So I did my apprenticeship there for four years, worked on a bunch of cool projects, um, left there, worked at multiple sh- shipyards and for a couple of years then I finished that off because the economy wasn't great at the time and went did another trade in uh, fitter and turner so basically it's just machining and uh, fitting parts like pumps and assemblies and stuff and did that for four years uh, still in marine based stuff then left that went back into boat building did a couple more years doing high-end yachts and race yachts and stuff like that. Uh, got burnt out of that. Moved over here to Canada in 2018. Then got a job at North Shore Billet as uh, one of the machinists there. Worked there since, well, till I think 2021. Then uh, got the job at FYI. And that's where I met Sean, and that's pretty much it, really. In between, I've been doing a few other things here and there, my own businesses and stuff like that, but nothing major. Yeah, well, that kind of comes together pretty nicely for the two of you to have the combined design and fabrication experience, and Tom, you having worked with carbon fiber and as a machinist doing range of different materials and the rest, which, as we'll get into here, is kind of a significant part of the story of the machine of bikes even putting together so you two met at fyi and how quickly did it materialize that the two of you started being like well we're both into bikes we, we should probably start building some was it something that came about pretty fast <laughs> <laughs> it's uh days maybe <laughs> about, about a week <laughs> something that came about pretty fast <laughs> yeah about, about about a couple of hours to be honest i mean tom when Tom joined at that point and I'd already been in FYI for at least two and a half years or more. So 
Um, yeah, Tom came in and he just finished his previous bike uh, that he built in the North Shore Billet shop. And I think it was the first day where I was like, oh, have you got your bike? And we kind of got chatting and it, I mean, I think you came in with the idea of doing an, uh, an enduro bike anyway, and then I'm super into my enduro. So, um, yeah, it kind of went from there, but it was, it was pretty quick. I guess we were actually thinking about it like seriously, like a month after we met or something crazy like that. Okay. So this moved pretty fast here. Yeah. 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 It was like, I started, I, yeah, I finished my, the park bike I'd built. Was riding that all summer. Started working there, so like part time in September, I think, of twenty uh, one. And then yeah, we were chatting back and forth because we we're both into living in Whistler and both into bike parks and all that stuff. Um, and then yeah, I was like, oh, I want to do an enduro bike, like a trail bike. And Sean's like, yeah, I'm keen, and just it just spiraled from that really. Yeah, I remember we had the we were running the linkage program for the kinematics like that October as in the, those last two weeks of the bike park closing uh, last year. So that's kind of for me when the project officially started. And then yeah, it's been up and down with productivity, but overall, I think we've done a pretty good pretty good job in terms of the time. Like as you said, David, it's been moving super fast. <laughs> yeah, that's not long at all, and. Tom, I don't want to breeze on past that first park bike too quickly just yet. So this is kind of what first got your name on my radar. And this would have been what summer of 2021 when you were showing that off. But just tell us a bit about that project and what you had in mind for it. Uh, basically, I came to Canada, bought a downhill bike, rode it, wasn't super happy with it, um, sold it. Bought a Santa Cruz Nomad and used that as my everyday bike. And then I was like, oh, it's a bit too much on the bike park doing like 60, 70 days a year on it and trail riding. So I basically just wanted to make a super simple, just grab it and ride it, not have to worry about park bike. Um, and that's where that sort of stemmed from because I've always wanted to build a bike for years. So it started with that, and then I thought, oh, how can I make that easy? So then I thought, well, I can machine the rear end at a solid billet because uh, it wasn't – like it's, it seems complicated, but it wasn't that hard for me because it was something I did every day. Same with the front triangle. I used to do a lot of fabrication in my previous trades, so that sort of went pretty easily together and – wasn't a massive project took a bit of time um i think for the three bikes we made it took six months from start to finish um so i did a trail bike version for chris one of the owners of north shore billet and dave one of the other machinists helped with a few parts just the timelines so we just made another one for him and that's that's how that project started it just basically yeah like a simple easy to maintain park bike that to service the fork and suspension and just ride it. Yeah. Right. So that one was, if I had this right, yeah, like you said, machined aluminum rear triangle, kind of just pretty straightforward horse link layout, single speed for the park bike anyway, and a fairly conventional tube steel 
front end and yeah it was chrome only front end and like you said i mean sort of maybe sounds complicated but in a lot of ways that does sort of strike me as maybe one of the simpler ways to build a full suspension bike you've got trying to do tubular everything for the rear end you've just got a lot of more complicated miters and joints and um a more much more complicated thing to weld up and uh if you're machining it it's a big chunk of aluminum and some good bit of machine time but in a lot of ways simplifies quite a few things so keeping everything aligned i'm sure is lows easier and all that kind of stuff so that sort of makes some sense tell us a little bit more just about the design intents of that bike obviously you've mentioned it just being something simple that you can go hammer on in the park and not have to do too much maintenance on in the rest but how are you thinking about suspension kinematics and geometry and sorting out what you wanted to do there uh, geometry is just from basically riding a lot of different bikes at the time taking things i liked adapting things that i thought i would like more um just basically basing it off stuff that i liked riding and i enjoyed and tweaking a few things that i thought would make it better and same with the simplicity it was like well riding in the bike park in whistler when it's raining all the time there's a lot of mud and grit and it just gets in everywhere and all the bearings so every single bearing on that bike and pivot has uh, sealed bearings but then it has like lip seals and well not lip seals but like x-ring bit uh, o-rings that are sealed front and back so it's like a double seal um so that was it really like people say oh you, you could have gone simpler and made a single pivot and yeah i, I could have but if i wanted to go simpler i just would have made a hard tail but <laughs> you got to have some performance how did those work out i mean we'll get to the machine of bikes in a little bit here but just what did you take away from that project and what worked about it what maybe didn't if anything how'd it go uh really really good to be honest like everyone that's ridden it and how to go they they love it like i think uh i didn't say i knocked it out of the path but i think overall it was a pretty good bike uh the suspension was pretty good it's just got a good compromise of uh, between like riding tech and jumps and like it's hard to get dialed between both you know like i'm just gonna hit jumps all day or i'm gonna ride tech all day like just finding that balance between they get the support and poppiness for everything um so i think it had a few issues with like tubes cracking around the head tube area um but i've rectified that now dave the machinist he's got his one he hopped back on a furious this year and he really doesn't like it in comparison to the park bike that we made uh he just finds that i think with a single pivot like it's great on the jumps and that but then when he rides tech it's not as balanced and just with the traction and everything but that's obviously because it's a single pivot compared to a four like a horse thing yeah i mean that sounds like pretty solid success for first go at it and so well i guess yeah from there we've kind of come back around to the two of you meeting and kicking things off and so take it from here kind of you decided that you wanted to build an enduro bike and what do the next steps look like where'd you go from there i jump on i jump on your bike i remember i was because we were in that kind of era where 
bikes were like reach got like thrown out super far large size got like rescaled and i've always been between m and l so i was like i'd already been two seasons on a bike that i was like this is kind of getting super long up front is it like i don't know it was like the chains that i was riding a bike at the time where the chain stay was really really uh short but the reach was really long and i was getting like okay results with it i was doing okay but then i was just like wow this, this is kind of not really working for me as well jump on tom's bike and then i was just like I don't know we because we switched bikes that day do you remember and we were just riding and i was i was i was it was just so refreshing to be back on like a like a horse link bike with like super balanced geometry like nothing crazy not like rewriting the rule book just like doing the basics really well um so i think that's kind of just before we started grafting on the on the machina project and we just kind of like i think we were talking a lot about you know, geometry and performance of the bike and what, what was really important to us and everything kind of like aligned. Like we didn't really have to like convince each other or anything else. Like both the vision was kind of already there. And I think that's part of the success of this project for me is just basically having like two people like with one vision that was, it was very, it was very clear. Um, and that started from day one and having some skills. Yeah, you and I are the same size, same weight. So it was pretty simple to come up with a geometry be- between both of us because pretty much dead on, like we can hop on each other's bike and it's, it's how we both want it. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly imagined that makes some things easier. You're not having to make two sizes and argue about who's gets made first or yeah. anything like that and kind of on the same page as far as what you're after. And so tell us about the geometry there you, you mentioned kind of wanting the same things where did you wind up and what was the thinking behind the overall package yeah so the the park bike i did at 469 reach just because i picked those numbers because you know stupid and childish um but it was in the within the realm of what i liked and felt was comfortable and then i that had 438 chain stays on it which I found was a good balance between like maneuverability and stability and stuff. And then we took that, Sean and I bounced back with it. And I think Sean can go into this more. Like we basically just went and took the numbers we liked and what we didn't like and and went from there. Yeah. I mean, we, we kept as much as we could floating as long as we could. Like for example, the design of the, of the front triangle, has inherently got like a custom uh, reach adjust as you're manufacturing the bike. So the top tube and the down tube are parallel. So as long as you're happy with the stack, you can pretty much fabricate the bike down to the like millimeter of reach, which we thought was, it was, it's not really like a, a selling point, but it's more like to protect us. Like we, we wanted to be riding it and like modifying it and changing it. And, with the titanium lugs, we've all, I mean, we've built, we've both been on two bikes by now, two separate bikes. Um, yeah, so we basically just print, um, 3D print jigs, cut the reach to size, and then we can ride it. So I've been on a, um, I've actually been, I started on a 475, um, and then my latest bike is a 470. And then the chainstay has um, three positions. Uh, for length so we've been playing with that a little bit as well and um, just for balance because 
I think the sport we do is so dynamic and there's so many uh, factors which um, have an effect on performance that it's, I don't know, I think both of us agreed that, you know, we weren't going to chase this like one figure of anti-squad to make it pedal well, or we weren't going to chase like a certain like specific characteristics. We just wanted to do like a lot of the basics right. And for example, for our chain state design, I think we were, I don't know, we were in the shop pretty late and we were just like kind of floating it around, seeing what would work. And then I think we just put every all of the like, all of our favorite bikes, chain state lengths in a, in a spreadsheet uh, and it kicked out an average. Um, and then we basically went plus or minus five and we were like, look, let's just build this and ride this. Um, so we've got, we, we're kind of like spanning the whole market in terms of for our medium size or like an extra extra medium medium large size we're spanning the market in terms of reach and chain state length and we can kind of modify not on the fly obviously for the front triangle because there's a bonding procedure but um yeah it was it was a bit of an r&d project as well as making our, our dream project but we're both really happy with the results um in terms of geometry performance um traction is the main one for me um the uh the sprung unsprung uh weight ratio benefits that you get from the from ditching the derailleur and the cassette um on the back is is mind-blowing like i'm so happy with the performance of my bike right now yeah a lot of stuff in there so let's (laughs) kind of no no that's what we're here for it's good (laughs) but yeah to sort of close the loop on some of that so as you sort of alluded to a couple things i mean one you're building it around a pinion gearbox right and uh we'll touch on that in a minute but there's a lot going on as far as the construction goes and using a range of different techniques there so you alluded to some of that with the printed lugs at the top tube c tube and down tube c tube junctions are kind of the pinion mount but take us through all the different construction bits in a little more detail and kind of how you wound up with the combination of different construction methods that you wound up with, because there's quite a bit going on here. Well, yeah, I think a lot of it was started from the previous bike I made with the billet rear end. And I'm really comfortable with having billet chain stays. Um, just think with the composite and stuff, like they get a lot of damage in that area of rocks and, debris and riding through things and smashing things through there. So that, and it's a lot easier to just whack out a billet chain stay in a couple hours and instead of <laughs> making molds and this and that and laying up parts and getting all the composites to perform right in all the joints and junctions and where all the bearings and stuff go through. Um, so I think that's what steered the rear end design. And the main thing is if you look at the seat stays, there's a, composite tube in the middle with a bonded lug of alloy top and bottom and that was in just mainly to try to save some weight out of it uh, and it's it's a pretty simple easy part to lay up and just makes machining a lot easier as well uh, the only issue which we ran into was just some of the brake loads through the carbon and the bonding we had a few failures through that and that's why the brake sides now billet um, but we just haven't had time to revise the, the composite junction through there, which 
we, we'll probably get back to, but there's a few other things we want to tweak and improve. And I think that's where that steered the whole rear end. And as far as the front triangle, I I wanted to make a carbon front triangle, uh, just leaning on some of the skills I have, and I, it'd just be a cool thing that I wanted to do. And that led into the 3D printed junctions, I guess. Isn't that right, Sean? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I guess from the outside looking in, the bike might look quite complex, but in fact, like, yeah, this construction method from like our point of view is super simple. Like we did most of the development using like 3D printed jigs or billet kind of uh, three axis, obviously stuff. So it's, it might look kind of complex from the outside, but inherently like in, if you dig a bit deeper, it's kind of like it's quite simple. Um, like, yeah, we reduced the, the carbons, the size of the carbon parts so the tooling remained really small. Um, and as Tom said, like the seat stays relatively simple. Um, seat tube is also a really nice, simple part. Uh, we put all the complexity in the, in the 3D printed part where you can achieve any geometry you like. Um, and we both wanted to, I don't know, experiment with, with the titanium printed um, parts. Um, anyway, and we're really happy with, with the way those turned out. I mean, there are some some details for the 3D printed parts too. Like we have internal cable routing through the print of the um, of the gearbox housing, which is pretty unique, I feel like. Um, and you can't achieve that with machining. It's just impossible. Um, and then I think the front triangle, uh, one-piece front triangle is a unique take as well. Like... Um, and the fact then that we can like adjust the reach before we do the last bonding procedure makes it super unique. And there's like a, um, kind of like a custom aspect to, to building the bike, um, that you can select the reach down to like, as long as you're happy with the stack, um, yeah, you can basically cut the reach with a, um, a sliding cut jig, which can be 3d printed. And the, the accuracy over the, over the whole bike is, has been really good for what we've achieved. And I think to achieve a little bit more accuracy, we'd, yeah, we'd just go into metal tooling, but like Tom and I funded most of the project ourselves and we've been doing it after hours. Um, so again, it's like, we've just been trying to take those decisions based on those factors really. Yeah. And I mean, I think for, as you said, a sort of self-funded after hours project, it looks amazing and just, like you said, there's a lot of different things going on, but you think about it, they, they make sense that there's some sensible thinking going behind all of it. And so you've got this. Yeah, I mean, we'll post some photos with the episode so folks can check this out if you haven't seen it already. But basically, it's carbon fiber, one piece, top tube, down tube, head tube, the front bit of the front triangle. And then that ties into 3D printed titanium lugs at the gearbox mount down at the, around the bottom bracket and then at the top tube uh c-tube interface the, the c-tube is carbon fiber again bonded into those two lugs and then well as you said predominantly machined aluminum rear end with a little bit of a carbon fiber tube for the seat stay and like you said i mean in particular it strikes me as a really straightforward way to put together a frame where the alignment and kind of getting everything to fit up is handled 
comparatively easily. You're not having to do as much, I would imagine, manual processing of mitering and joining tubes and all that kind of stuff as you might with sort of more quote unquote conventional construction techniques. And it checks out that it would really help you along there. Like, cause we're running a trunnion shop. A lot of people's biggest deal with trunnion is the frame alignment and the stiffness through the rocker where like a lot of these mass production bikes, their tolerance aren't that great. So where all the machine parts I've made, I took the time and made them really, really accurate. And the jigs and fixtures and stuff is, our alignment's really great. So the load you see on the trunnion, which some of these production bikes, you get a lot of uh, alignment issues through there and twisting and flex through there. Where how we've got it, uh, it kind of eliminates all that and we can control the tolerances. So I guess that's like one of the issues, like, well, not issues, but one of the good things as well is that we have the ability to control all the tolerances a lot easier than a, a factory saying Taiwan when you're based in another country. Yeah, and I mean, also we we kind of like kept like customization options within the manufacturing processes that we decided for those specific parts of the frame and in the design, just because. Like we were pretty sure of what we wanted, but again, it's like we're in this awesome position where we can we can choose and change as we want. Like we're not, yeah, we're not machining um, these big tools and locking ourselves into this one geometry and one design. Like we we are pretty dynamic. Like for example, the chainstay, we ended up, I think, sorry, the seat stay, like the the rear triangle, we ended up machining. What we were doing, some we like changed from carbon to alloy and i think we had the ews race on that weekend you were away in revelstoke and then i think i designed the seat stay on like you know over the phone with you or something like on a tuesday wednesday and then you came back i think thursday you machined the you machined that uh two seat stays that that night and then i think we were riding on friday yeah, we had the EWS in Whistler, and Sean had that f- failure in the brake area on the the composite aluminium part. And then, yeah, when I was in Revelstoke on a holiday, Sean designed the whole part. I came back, I think it was Wednesday. I started Wednesday night, finished off Thursday night, and then Friday we were riding on a finished part uh, that was optimised and everything. Yeah, and then... Exactly. And then we've had a couple of iterations of the chain say, which is like super fast. We just uh, make the changes, machine it. And then the um, the only thing that we haven't discussed for now is the um, the stiffness, like the token for stiffness on the seat stays. So in between the alloy parts of the seat stay, we've got uh, like a drop-in token uh, that's currently actually just a 3D printed nylon brace. Um but I think that's worth a mention just because it's like, I think this um, torsional stiffness of the frame is something that we don't talk about in the industry uh, at all. Um, and the fact that like a super heavy, aggressive rider rides pretty much the same thing as um, maybe a lighter, um, I don't know, more like relaxed rider um, is something that we wanted to try as well. So we've got like a, 
basically a token that we can replace with, you know, 3D printed like nylon or uh, steel or aluminium or titanium or whatever you want to kind of achieve this like the, the, the right stiffness for you as a rider, you know? And like, I think that goes back to kind of what we wanted to achieve with the project, which is kind of making a bike, which like the experience is actually really enjoyable and really fun for you, you know, like not what's best for the world cup riders, what's fastest, what's the, like, what's the shiniest, (laughs) you know, it's like, we just made it. We wanted to have a bike that you can just take out and really have, just have fun with and feel like it was designed for us. And we're really happy with it. (laughs) I like that thought. And on the note of customization, I do wonder, I mean, like I said, what you done makes loads of sense in a lot of ways. I am curious why go for the full one piece front triangle rather than having an extra couple lugs or maybe a single lug at the head tube and giving yourself a bit more adjustability there or ability to tinker in terms of head tube angle and the rest. I think it's a good point. I mean, it's, there's a few things in there for sure. I mean, it's like, I like the fact that, I mean, the cost is a, is a main one. Like the, we, we funded most of it out of our own pockets, which is, you know, like a definite driver. So, and the titanium printing isn't cheap. That's, that's one major factor. Um, I mean, we were discussing it, but we thought that like, we really wanted to focus on making it like only having the factors that we really cared about, you know, like the reach, the chain stay, um, and then being able to, I don't know, modify the rear end more. Uh, we were pretty happy with the with the front end. So we, we kind of decided to to not invest in the 3D printing because you also have to like then come in and machine that surface. There's another bonding procedure. Your drill jig is more complicated. There's like a lot of factors. I mean, the Athertons are obviously doing straight tubing, which is really sensible. But at the same time, I think we wanted to show off the carbon capability as well. Um, and I think overall it's, it's potentially like reducing the, the center of mass ever so slightly as well, uh, with our design. Sure. Fair enough. I mean, I can certainly see reasons to go both ways on. I'm just curious for what your take was. Head angles, I think have calmed down a lot over the years. Like it was like 66, 65, 64 and a half, 65 and a half. Um, well, what we've settled on is, and I guess it's, depends where you ride and how you ride and that but the way this the ethos of this bike and what we wanted with this bike it was like a basically a race bike like an enduro you know do it all big mountain bike um so as far as like head angle optimization and changing it really wasn't like a big factor for us and it's that thing is because we have uh pressing cups in the front triangle we can add a headset cup like an angle set cut. And then the main thing is with stack as well, like I'm sure some people will get angry at me, but if your stacks, you know, you can raise your handlebars with just the spaces. Like you don't need a 180 mil thick head tube. Like some people, some people get upset about that, but some people I speak to with bike design, it's like, yeah, if it's a, if it's a hundred mil head tube and, you get upset that it's not 120, just run 20 more spaces. So that wasn't really a driving factor for us, I don't think. 
as Sean was saying, it was more the, the optimization of a reach when we bond the triangle in and the ability to change the chain stays really easy, which I think is a good thing depending on what you're riding and this and that. Same with the torsional stiffness. Like if you're going to ride bike park and smash berms, you probably want it a bit stiffer than if you're just riding off camber routes and stuff. So having the ability to tweak that I think is more important than like having a 0.2 degree slacker head angle. Um, I think it's so dynamic and moving that I don't think it's such a thing on the big picture. Yeah, it's definitely designed for the trails that we ride and kind of our lifestyle here as well. Like, like it's like the goal. One of the main goals for the bike was to kind of get it done and try and get it through a whole race season um, on the Canadian Enduro Series. Um, and we were, uh, I mean, we pretty much got that goal. Like we we were a bit behind, and there were some races delayed and this and that. But we we did like three or four races um on it through the season and we were pretty confident that with the modifications like the on the fly changing of the stiffness of the rear and the chainstay length that we'd kind of have um would like we'd pretty much be happy with where we were um rather than i've never been a guy to like you know infinitely customize the bike um because again, it's like the sport is super dynamic. Uh, you know, conditions change, um, steepness change, roughness change. Like, there's so many factors. And I've been in riding bikes for a really long time now, um, and I've been in the industry for a bit too. And I don't know. I'm pretty much aware of like how many variables I can keep track of. And um, do you know what I mean? It's like how deep can you go? And every variable has a knock-on effect. So. We kind of wanted, at the same time, we wanted to carry on that simplicity to a certain extent through, like, from Tom's original project. Yeah, I I 100% get that and like that answer a lot. Curious to hear about the adjustable rear end stiffness. How much have you experimented with that to this point and kind of what have you learned from whatever it is that you have done thus far? We haven't done too much. Um just because we've been a bit overwhelmed with the size of the project, you know, it's kind of been something that we've baked into the design. Um, and then we've been playing with geometries, but predominantly we've just been 3d printing the, um, like 3d printing the, the, the tokens and writing them. Um, so, I mean, we kind of like went with that and then we've been riding it. It's relative. It's not too stiff on the rear. Like one of my major worries with the project, like, with the gearbox and the titanium and all the bonded like joints that the whole thing was going to be kind of too stiff to be able to ride. I don't know, like my level and my ability and my strength and like the way that I ride, I thought it was going to be too stiff for me. Um, so actually the plastic ended up being like a relatively good, you know, flag in the ground for that. Um, however, I think we do have like, it's probably borderline a touch flexi for like bike park and like more aggressive riding. So I think, yeah, next steps for us is like with these kind of, yeah, dialing in these like incremental improvements, probably stiffening up the rear a little bit, but you can change like material and geometry, uh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Material and geometry. So we're pretty dynamic in that sense. Like we could print something, we can machine something, we could 
like um yeah we can get playing with it but i think i think like actually bonding oh yeah sorry like joining the rear seats there is is like as we were also talking about removing it completely um but i think like yeah joining it with bolts that um that you can quickly change like on the trail or for like one race venue or another race venue or for a bike park day here or there is, is also super super cool you know um so yeah we're we're pretty happy with the plastic one but i think i think i'd like to stiffen my rear end for sure i don't know what you're thinking tom yeah i think it's that thing if i'm gonna go to bike park labs i'll put in a billet spacer or a carbon spacer just to stiffen the rear up as far as like chill trail riding and like the trails around here with a lot of off-camber routes and you now it's a bit chundery in here and there it adds a nice bit of flex to the bike to help with the traction and then like you do notice the difference like riding your old bike sean with no brace you could load it up in the corner and you'd really feel the rear end just like torque and twist and floppy and go everywhere or i think that's the great thing about having that adjustable the stiffness in the rear of that brace is that you can yeah i'm, I'm gonna go ride bike park for the day and smash burns and do jumps and you stiffen up a suspension a bit and throw in that stiff brace and it's good. Or if you decide you want to ride tech halfway through your ride, just swap out a, the plastic brace or a different geometry brace. And it, I think it's just a good compromise. Yeah. And it's, I think going back to what we touched on before with like that kind of infinite things to tune. And I think like that being a factor, like that was like a bit an interesting kind of niche for us to kind of like, explore you know rather than having uh, like head tube angle you know adjustment and some some more um customization baked into the front triangle it was more like you know like maybe your weight and your riding style is 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 different and and the feel of the bike is actually something that no one's talking about right now um i know some race teams are, are are doing it the guys at common salt when i were there have been playing with with torsional stiffness for a while and um yeah i i think it's just a cool place cool place for it to be yeah it certainly seems like a thing worth experimenting with and having not had the opportunity to ride a bike that has those sorts of adjustable stiffness chips in it you know i think as you sort of alluded to there are a few people doing that on race bikes and the rest and uh like including the latest that crazy six bar comments all supreme that they've the team's been on but um there aren't many or hardly any really uh production bikes out there with the option so i've not been able to experiment too much but i'd certainly be curious to and move from there into some of the other design details on the bike we've already mentioned that you've been using opinion gearbox for the project but talk to us about the thinking behind that and kind of I'd be curious also how much experience you'd had on pinion equipped bikes prior to going for this and talk us through all that. Well we were gonna do the Effie gear originally, the new mimic that came out. Um I think they got delayed with a lot of manufacturing issues and stuff. You know, with all the COVID and, and all that stuff. So then we thought well we'll just make the call and, and go with the pinion because it all originally revolved around a gearbox. Um, and the beautiful thing about that new Effie gear was that it used the same interface as the pinion. So we didn't start with the box. We started with the idea of 
yeah, let's use either Opinion or the Effigear. Um, because we didn't want the derailleur. Because I think you destroyed a, a mech hanger in a, like a couple of weeks before or something, and then a mech like the week before that, Sean, on, I think, just before we got into the project, and you're like, I'm done with, I'm done with derailleurs. Yeah, I think that, like, the derailleur and derailleur hanger being something that's just like, it's just been, for me, a con- like a, a consumable kind of, like, item, the chains I go through uh, heaps here, like, riding in the sea disguise, I don't know, all, all kind of, um, all kinds of weather, and there's all kinds of rocks and routes, and not, not that I'm like a big like no derailleur guy, but I think like we were really interested about the um, sprung sprung um, weight ratio um, for the for the rear and like impacts for that direct direct impacts of that with uh, traction um, and and like suppleness of the suspension. So kind of all of those things put together, we were like, oh, let's just try the gearbox. It's ticking a bunch of boxes for us, like the reliability the fact that you can just put this thing away and it's not, you know, like, and just take it out and it's just going to be the same. You're, you, you, the, the transmission isn't as, um, as efficient as a traditional transmission, but it, it has like zero fade off. Like the performance is pretty much the same throughout the life of the product. So that sounds really cool to me, like going through a few, I don't know, a few, very expensive drivetrain parts every season here. Um, and then also keeping on top of it, drying it, cleaning it, lubing it, drying it, cleaning it, lubing it. It's like, I just wanted to kind of like experience a different thing in the sport. And, um, but yeah, I mean, we, we didn't have any experience with it. Um, and we, we kind of just like decided to go with it and I'm quite happy we did. It was, um, it's, it's been really good actually. Like the performances, the performance of the box is great. I think the grip shifter is a little bit difficult to get used to at the beginning, but um, I think we're both pretty much sold on it. Like if it comes with a grip shift or a trigger shift, like it doesn't really matter to me as, as of now, like I've been on both for a little while. And uh, I think the benefits that you get from it depends on your outlook and what you want out of riding and maybe where you live and what conditions you ride in. But I'm definitely I don't mind getting super muddy and wet and um, I don't want like the weather to determine whether I go ride my bike, you know, I just want to go ride my bike. That and I think the, the beautiful thing of like the, sh- the grip shift is a lot of people are giving it flack, but I think the people that are, you know, are against it, haven't really tried it and rode it for a while. Like the beautiful thing is you can come into a corner Say you're in top gear or whatever, you can just bang down as many gears as you want just by twisting and you're in that gear straight away with the gearbox as well. Like you don't have to worry about pedaling to change the gears and this and that and you don't have to press the trigger shifter four or five times. You just twist it and you go. So in like a pure race scenario, or I think it's really good in that regard. Yes, it does take a bit of use to, but I really don't see the the hatred it gets online in some of the comment sections but <laughs> it's the internet it, it seems like a deal breaker it's like the, a lot of people treat that as the deal breaker for if they would go gearbox on that and it's uh it's such a small i don't know for, for me it's been such a small like thing to get used to 
Um, definitely like the first, pretty much the first time we were riding it was at VWS in Whistler. So I don't know, it was a little bit difficult to get used to it, like during those kind of like quite stressful moments, but um, definitely paid off. Like the, the belt is interesting too. Like it's been really good for us for now. I think we're going into like more, more of a, a muddier and a wetter period up, up here. So we're, we're definitely going to be like testing the, the belt system and um, see how that holds up. The quietness too you get from the belt. Like the, if you watch like a slow-mo, like you see some of those World Cup shots, you just see the chain, the inertia of the chain. It would like whip around the whole thing. And I think you even get a, a benefit you get there is, you, again, you get more traction because you don't have this inertia of a chain going up and down and it's quiet. So it's like a double win in some cases. Yeah, and especially with that combined with the fact that you haven't got a derailleur and so you just have way less – the range of tension that you need to have a tensioner to take up is much smaller, which would be true for the gearbox and the chain as well, I suppose. But you don't have to have nearly as much stuff flapping around there and that all makes sense. I've not ridden a pinion bike more than just an hour or so, so and it's been a few years now, so – um, I'm certainly more than a little curious, but haven't been on one nearly enough to have a t- terribly well fleshed out opinion on them at this point. And, um, well, I think the other thing is the SRAM and Shimano offer a five year warranty on their drive trains. Like the, the pinion gearbox, that's five year warranty, 10,000 kilometers service intervals. Um, and the, the belts, same construction as in like the timing belt of a car. So that's like 100,000 kilometers um, unless you nick it or scratch it, which, which can happen. But we've, uh, we've made a bash guard, like a custom bash guard with the tensioner to help prevent that. I think it's that thing. It's just the – I guess it's what you want. Like if you were doing cross-country or something, I wouldn't get a gearbox just because the efficiencies and stuff. Um, but as far as like day-to-day riding and – to set and forget, I, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it is amazing. Well, it's cool. That's been working out. To sort of keep ticking off the frame deal details here, uh, you're running mullet wheel setup, if I have that right, yeah? That's right. And pretty sold on that? Tell us about the thinking there. Uh, again, it's, it's, yeah, big mullet guy, hairstyle and bike stuff. Uh, <laughs> I think it all stems from the park bike. Like having ridden 27s in the park and then the bike and then having a 29er trail bike. Um, the benefit of the 29er front wheel is awesome. Like just riding over things and this and that. Again, like it's personal choice. People might say, oh, you know, it's not as maneuverable and this and that, which obviously gyroscopes and stuff it isn't. Like, but... I didn't find it a big deal. Um, and then same with the big group the, on the back. Like if you're a tall guy and this and that, it's fine. But I find like with my riding style and stuff, like I was buzzing my ass a lot with my full 29er. Um, so I went the mullet on the park bike. But I think the – like it's weird to describe. Like I definitely think mid-corner acceleration and – coming out of a corner 
uh, is a lot better on the 27. Um, again, it might just be in my head, or but I really don't see the downfall of not having a 29 reel. Like the the 27 will get over most things because the the 29 front did it first. Um, and I just find it. I think personally, it allows it to be a bit more maneuverable. Um, and then I'm not buzzing my ass like on a 29er. You were against it a lot to start with. Yeah, I came in riding definitely like more more from like an enduro race kind of side of things. Like, and I've been on 29 for like full 29 for a good couple of years, maybe like three seasons. And I was just like, I'm not big guy, like I'm medium size, but. I never really like had any of the downsides and I was like, you know, it's got to be better. So I'll just ride it. And I was getting on really well. And then Tom was pretty adamant for the mullet. And it just seemed like one of those things where I was like, sweet, let's try it. If it sucks, like, or if I don't like it, the design would handle a 29 wheel um, plugged in. Um, So yeah, we kind of just decided on the mullet, and honestly, like I haven't even questioned it. It's just been so good. Like I've just been riding it and loving it. It's so fun, and like it's yeah. I'm not feeling any of the downsides. I mean, this is a step up in travel from what I was on before, um, and then going for the four bar rather than a single pivot. There's a bunch of other changes, but the bike's just feeling better all around for me. So I haven't really dug in too much, like we could chuck a chuck a 29 wheel on it and give it give it a crack for sure um and i'm sure it would be really good um but it's been one of those things that's just been like from the day that we discussed it we kind of just agreed and then tested it and it's really good so we kind of just kept it and i mean that's going back to kind of day to day what we do what we ride as well and like i'm like really I've always been like a kind of a one bike guy. Like I, I ride one bike in the park and I ride one bike, like the same bike to, to do big trail days. And I'll do some racing through the season and I'll do bits and bobs and travel with it or whatever. But, um, yeah, I think that like the mullet just seems right for, for that, for me, you know, it's just like kind of the ethos of it and the vibe of it is kind of this, like it's a fun bike, but it's a, it's a really, it's a really high performance machine as well. And since we haven't touched on this bit yet, when you said, John, that you had stepped up and travel a little bit from where you've been at, where are you landing on that? So, yeah, I mean, I had, so I was on, I've been back and forth on like common cell metas. I had a, the new site, the, uh, the site, which is 150. And then I was on, my recent bike was at, a meta tr which was like 140 rear single pivot it was like pretty rough to ride as a one bike does it all in whistler but um i just didn't want to i mean i thought to be honest i got it thinking that I, we were going to finish the machina project like super soon and i'd be on the machina so i kind of got it as a trail bike but then ended up riding it so then the machina bike felt really amazing com- compared to this but i mean going back quickly to the gearbox and so actually, sorry, we're on 165 rear travel on, on this bike. Um, but then the gearbox allows, a, I think we've got a bigger gear ratio now than a, like a 12-speed 12, 12 Shimano setup with a 30-tooth chainring. So we've got a lower gear than that, and then it goes it goes higher 
than that into like the 32 on the top 32 chain ring on the top range of the cassette so you you actually get like really good gear ratio so if if tom and i are riding on these bikes the cadence sorry the pace is like a little bit slower but you've actually got like the gear ratio is actually really good so you've got all the climbing benefits i mean if you don't mind just sitting in the bike and just suffering um but you've got a good gear ratio so i don't know there's no real but like i was thinking about getting a trail bike or like um but there's no real need i just do everything on this bike at the moment i'm with you kind of on the one bike thing in a lot of ways just nice to have the consistency and be dialed in and familiar on whatever you're spending time on always curious to chat with people about mullets working as i do reviewing bikes tried quite a few mullet bikes at this point and i mean longtime listeners will be unsurprised to hear that my track record with them's a little bit spottier and I think like I, I do totally understand why people are getting on with them and that I think everything that you said about them feeling just a little bit quicker handling than a full 29er totally checks out. Um, I'm tall enough that I don't tend to have too much trouble with buzzing my ass on the rear tire to so that particular complaints, a minor one on my end, though I certainly understand that that's not the case for everyone. The thing that hasn't always clicked for me with mullets is that and i've been sort of trying to refine the language for how to explain this for a while now but basically most of the ones that i've been on have felt like they are quicker to sort of initiate a turn especially in the kind of situations where you're going at a bit of a medium speed where in order to turn, you're doing a mix of steering input through the bar and leaning the bike over. You know, like if you're going really fast, you're pretty much just leaning. If you're going really slow, you're mostly doing steering input. So kind of in the range of speeds where you're doing a bit of both somewhere in between. They're for sure sort of sharper to initiate that turn and start leaning the bike in. But I often end up feeling like they get started into that turn and then just kind of want to keep flopping over and sort of you have to do this timed counter steer out of that to sort of catch the bike and straighten it back out to finish the corner in a way that I haven't always had the easiest time doing. But I have, as of pretty recently, started spending time on the new mulleted Santa Cruz Nomad and that particular bike is clicking much much better for me than most mullets that I've been on to date. Well I think a lot of that is a lot of the bikes you ride that are mullets they're either designed around being a full 29er or a full 27 with like a flip chip or this or that where like all our geometry has been based on a, on a mullet. Where I think a lot of these bikes, they try to tick all these boxes and they weren't specifically designed as a mullet. I think there is some truth to that. I've certainly been on enough bikes that were designed as ground-up mullets that haven't quite been dialed. The thought that I was kind of getting into is that I think having a little bit longer chain stays, which the... Uh, the Nomad does, relatively speaking, has really helped balance that feeling out for me and kind of moderate the sensation of 
the rear wheel wanting to duck in tighter than the arc that the front wheel is turning. And so I'm sort of curious where you two are landing on chainstay length, given the adjustability that you've baked into the bike and having sort of gone through this mullet experimentation with the ability to vary chainstay length along with it. Are you finding a preference there? Is there, are you varying it depending on where you're riding? How's that all shaking out? It's, it's funny that you mentioned that phenomenon um, with a shorter chainstay. It's like I've now that now that you mention it, it's kind of exactly a feeling that I have had with the mullet. Um, but then weirdly, we also ended up like we've tested the short. The short is uh, what is that four three seven? So yeah, and then four three seven four four two four four seven, and we were I think we started on the short one, didn't we? Just assuming that was going to be like you know good balance fun whatever and then i mean i think then we rode the mid and then we've actually ended up on the long now um four four seven which is like usually on the longer end of uh of the average kind of bikes out there um and i think the, for me it's just been you, you do notice the stability in the corner yeah absolutely yeah, it's weird. It's like exactly the phenomenon. Now that you say it, like I've kind of like because there's a few variables different than than my previous bike. Like it's hard to like isolate them. But like exactly what you're talking about, I have felt that with the shorter chains there. Um, but then now we're both. I think we're both riding the long one for now. Um, I'm interested to go back to me to the medium setting. I think um, just to get some of that like old like kind of like um that like traditional bike feel like that short chain stay like is fun kind of feel um but for racing and for the stuff that we've been doing here it's been it's been doing great as is uh on on the long one um 447 and then i think like it's been fun for me too because i was also i was riding a longer front end initially i was on 475 um and then i actually decided to bring that back 5 mil for the, my second bike um and then that, that along with the longer chainstays actually pulled like the balance point into a place where I haven't really felt this much traction before. Um, and that's really, for me, out of most of the kind of uh, characteristics of the bike and the project and the materials and this and that, like the real takeaway for me has been the, um, the traction. Um, it's, it's completely crazy. Like it's the best bike for traction that I've ever had. Um, and that's been great, great for like racing, but also just in terms of experience and giving you confidence and, you know, just every day, it's just been, it's just been really cool. Um, and I'm not sure if that comes from the balance point or the, these kind of, um, yeah, or the sprung versus unsprung weight ratio of the back, making the suspension more supple, um, or what, like it, yeah, there's so many factors that it's kind of hard to pinpoint what it is, but I'm just like, I mean, I've been telling you, Tom, like, let's, like, this is, this is really, really good what we've got. And I'm, I'm like, let's really try and figure out now, like, that's why we don't want to do anything drastic. Cause I think the ingredients that we've got that we've randomly landed on through this season of, of testing and racing and riding, like as much as we could, um, we're actually in a really cool place that I didn't expect we'd be in, you know? Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And you're certainly right to note that 
there are a million more variables at play here than just chainstay length and yeah particularly relative overall frame sizing and the front center playing a big role in how the you know your weight falls between the two wheels and the balance that gets struck there is huge but um no i mean it's interesting to hear how you're uh kind of landing on the longer chainstays and i certainly don't mean to you know say that i don't think mullets work or anything i i readily acknowledge that there's a huge degree of just personal preference at play here and certainly should also note that no one has ever accused me of being a super playful rider i'm definitely kind of coming things from a dh race background and much more just sort of a planted go fast kind of guy than trying to look all that cool or really throw the bike around a whole lot so i'm sure that's a relevant factor as well for me yeah i mean that's that's really kind of down to it's funny that we're talking about these things too because it's like highlighting kind of what we really try to do with the project and that's kind of to make kind of exactly the thing the bike that we wanted and we wanted to explore a couple of things but we just kind of wanted to make a really good bike for us um and we're not like professional riders or anything like we're just we're just in it to have fun and i think like the industry gets caught up a lot in these you know incremental improvements which is based in racing which i think is very good to to push the sport forward but i think coming back to it like really giving kind of the the rider kind of control uh, as much control as they can over like variables that you think are quite important like that is uh is a really cool thing for us you know yeah absolutely and i think you're right to say that so much of the mountain bike development over most of the history of mountain bikes has been pretty race oriented and driven from that end down and that's not necessarily the right thing for everybody you know people are doing lots of different things on bikes than the traditional race disciplines and having all of the development and R&D be focused on that end of things isn't serving a lot of folks very well at all. Yeah, totally. And I can guarantee, like, if, if Sean and I were 6'2 plus, like, I think I'm five, we're about 5'10", but if we were over six foot, we probably would have both gone the 29er because it just makes logical sense because you've got the room and this and that, um, regardless of whether if there's a, like a performance benefit in mid-corner acceleration or turning into a corner. I think that's just how the bike would have gone because we had that height, but we don't. And I think that's why I settled on the mullet originally. Yeah, and I've been on the fence between sizes for a while. So I think for us, like, yeah, it was, I don't know. It, we were hung up on it probably a couple of days and then we kind of just decided and, and went for it. And I'm, I'm really happy with the result. Like in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, yeah, we could always, you know, um, chuck a 29 in there, get a bit more clearance and then, you know, we'll, we'll make it work somehow. Um, there's going to be some compromises because the design was for the, uh, for the mullet, but I'm not changing it. I'm not in a rush to change anything as of now, um, on my end. And then I think, I think we're really, really happy with the outcome actually. Like it's, it's been, it's been a really cool project. Yeah, it's certainly been a cool one to follow along with and just, you know, on social media and the rest and been enjoying seeing what you're up to. And I guess along those lines should probably wrap this up pretty soon here. But I am curious what your plans are for future iterations and the potential of eventually bringing these to market. What do you have in mind for, I don't know, I mean, both, I guess, from what you've learned from the 
current prototypes, what would you want to change going forward? And do you imagine they'll be selling these at some point? I think there's a couple of things we want to tweak. Not major things. Just more from like a sim- simplicity and just chasing incremental improvements. Uh, like I'm pretty sure we could take some of the carbon layoff out of the frame just to take a bit of weight out. We'd like to just go over the the bearing like junctions and the mechanicals behind that of whether we should use it a twin bearings instead of like a single bearing in the chainstay seat stay just to get a bit more stiffness out of that joint. Mm. We're probably looking at changing the the junction between the seat tube and the rocker of whether that like right now it's in like a single shear. Um, whether to do that in a double shear again just to like is that going to help with stiffness of the rear end um, then is it worth just going full billet seat stays and maybe just like redesigning the, the gearbox area just with what we know now and just incremental improvements I guess like I think that's what I started thinking Sean yeah pretty much I mean I think we're definitely in like a kind of a te- solid testing phase now. Like I'm, I'm pretty keen to put a lot of miles on this thing um, and see where the, you know, where the improvements, like any more improve, like where they're going to be, uh, see how reliable it is. Um, see if like, yeah. Cause like Tom said, it's like the titanium parts. We just had one crack at it. We just like designed it got them sent here, bonded them in, everything worked. But it's like, you know, there's a lot of things that if we were to take it to production, we would want to refine um, some things. But saying that, I'm also super happy. Like, I'm really happy with it. And I would be very excited for other people to experience that feeling uh, that the bike's given me uh, personally. But I think in terms of, like, it's pretty early, early days to um, – to kind of put any production plans in place or it's it's really for the market to 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 decide if it if it wants this product you know it's like for us we we got the unique opportunity to kind of design and make our dream bike and it kind of surpassed what i like what what my expectations were so i'm super happy with it with where it is and what we've done and um like we're both really excited on the bike and we get to ride it now um uh just through the winter and into the spring and test it and and then we probably will do those small incremental improvements um where yeah where we can um just so that we've i mean we've got the tooling we've got the design is is all done so we're in a pretty good place but i mean i guess it's just down to the market i mean we we did we did take production and manufacturing into consideration when making the when like making the decisions the main decisions for the bike and i think it's left us in like a, a pretty dynamic spot you know like we could we could go that direction if we really wanted to like um or we could not you know it's like we're the des- the design kind of has has the considerations to, to go there and also to, to to potentially make it in north america and um and to offer, offer like a pretty custom experience as well. It's like, it's all baked into the design, but it was kind of focused on us rather than making it um, kind of a, a commercialized product. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. 
No, it totally does. And I kind of like the thought of just building the bike that you two wanted to ride yourselves and seeing where things go from there and kind of having taken some considerations in such that it might be viable to have a crack at making a production run at some point. But, you know, you don't necessarily need to commit to that either. Just having the option there and seeing where you want to go with it seems like a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think with my experience working in Asia as well, it's like, and you know, having having roots in the in the bike industry before and kind of knowing how it works there, it's like I think we're both in the mind that we're not quite like we don't want to, we're not interested in in taking anything to to Asia and becoming like a logistics business. Basically, you know, it's like I think we're really just loving the the design and make and riding, and you know, the fact that we can turn that around in such little time is really has been really cool for us and we would want to kind of continue down that route. So yeah. And I think also the design isn't, it's not, it's made for the kind of like the experience of putting it together and and giving it to like a, a kind of a custom rider rather than it being like a mass market product. So then you fall within a niche. Um, so yeah, it's plenty of considerations, but it's not, was never meant to be like a, a mass market product. Like, and we're well aware of that, like the, the production methods and manufacturing methods and the materials that we've been using is reflects that as well, you know? Yeah, totally. And well, whatever comes of it from here, it's going to be fun to follow along and see what you two are up to and really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat about it. This has been cool and learned a lot and just wishing both of you the best with moving this forward and, for the development because you guys are up to some pretty sweet work here. So thanks again. This has been awesome and really appreciate it. No, we're good. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks David. Let, let us know if you're in Whistler anytime soon, we can go uh, riding. We can show you the bike. <laughs> That'd be cool. Maybe, maybe not over winter. <laughs> yeah. We'll let things melt out a little bit. I'm just over the border in Washington and up there f- pretty regularly. So I will be in touch in the spring and we'll catch up keep in touch yeah thank you very much for sure thanks again all right that's it for this edition of bikes and big ideas and as always i would like to say thanks to tom and sean for the conversation thanks to taylor ahern for producing the episode and thanks to you for listening from all of us at blister please take good care of yourself and everybody else and we'll talk to you again next week bye everybody